Amanita Minute is a podcast rooted in spotlighting moms and their journeys into motherhood. Brought to life by the company Ama & Co., this podcast is a means to build a community and raise awareness on the highs and lows a mother endures to bring a child into this world. Thanks for listening in and join me in welcoming another mom onto the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Amanita Minute. When we surveyed our moms, one of the topics that stayed at the top of the charts was postpartum depression. The CDC says postpartum depression impacts as much as one in eight birthing women. The National Library of Medicine says one in seven. However, these numbers are likely underrepresented, as I've seen numbers as high as one in five. In many cultures, mental health is a taboo topic, and symptoms and concerns for depression are sometimes dismissed. For those of you who are less familiar with PPD, it can occur at any time in the first year after the child's birth, although most commonly occurs within the first six weeks. And additionally, about 70% of women have something called baby blues, which is somewhat similar symptoms and emotions as PPD, making it even more difficult to self-diagnose and know what actions to take. Today, I have Michaela on the show to shed light on her experience with PPD. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. On a scale of 1 to 10, how was your day today? 10 being the best. It's been pretty good. Like, the weather's amazing. I would say it's up there, like like an 8. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty beautiful day right now. Yeah. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, I'd love to. So, my husband Cameron and I got married in 2016. And then in 2020, we had our first baby, Judah. And then we just had, in February 2022, our second baby boy, Elisha. Yeah, so we also, about two years ago, moved from State College, Pennsylvania, to New Jersey, which I never thought I would live in New Jersey. (laughs) But but we're in South Jersey, and we moved here to launch a campus ministry with the Navigators, which is a campus ministry to college students that just like comes alongside them and encourages them in a time of like, you know, in colleges, like sometimes the first time you're stepping away, making your own life decisions apart from your parents. And it can really set up like a trajectory for your life of like what you're going to do and, you know, values and beliefs and everything. And so I just get to like meet with girls and we have a Bible study and um, Mm. yeah, just have a lot of fun with college students. So that's why we are in South Jersey. Yeah. And I also am mostly at home with my two boys. Okay. That's awesome. That's so interesting. I didn't realize they had, I mean, I didn't realize there were ministries that like yeah. specifically went to campuses. I know certain campuses have churches, but didn't recognize that it was actually a network. So that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So how would you describe your pregnancy with your first? It's Judah? Yeah. Yeah. Judah. So I really wanted to get pregnant and it was a huge, like, it was a, like, I never really thought about being a mom, like to be honest, but then all of a sudden I felt like God really changed my heart. And it was like, oh my gosh, I want to be a mom. I want to be pregnant. And we got pregnant really quickly and it was really fun and exciting and overall really good. I mean, I had some nausea like first trimester, but then in March COVID hit. And so the world just started like, you know, shutting down and it was really isolating, you know, for all of us, but in a time that was so new and unexpected already with pregnancy, I think it just really added like a 
really difficult element to it where it's like, oh, I can't even like hug my mom right now. Like, cause there's just so much fear. You know what I mean? Yeah. We didn't know what was going on. Did you have him before everything locked down or, or during the beginning of the lockdown? No. So yeah, this is still pregnancy. So I had him like three months after the lockdown because okay. in March. I and was like- your husband in the hospital? He was able to come. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He was able, that was, yeah. Something. Yeah. All of those things were just up in the air of like, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, will he even be allowed to come in with me? So yeah. Um, so pregnancy was really good and then really scary very quickly at the end. Yeah, I could see that. And I was not the exact same timeline. I think my son came after my second son came after, but I, that was a concern of mine too, that I was like, yeah, I go in the labor and delivery room without my partner right (laughs) so yeah totally totally hear you there so you have this birth and this beautiful baby is coming home with you and everyone says the newborn early days are tough like you said yours were exceptionally tough because you felt like you couldn't even get like the physical help you needed yeah yeah you couldn't have visitors really at the time how did those first days feel for you well, I remember being on like an adrenaline high for the first like maybe like three three to four days. I don't quite remember potentially even up to a week of just this adrenaline of like, wow, this just happened. Because like when, I don't know like about for you, but when the, it happened with my second one too. But when you're, when the first baby came out, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a real baby. Like <laughs> it's almost like I, my mind couldn't wrap around like, yeah, you were growing a baby. There was a baby in there. So yeah. suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, we have this real little human. and so. The first, yeah, like week, I would say I was just riding a high. Like I was FaceTiming everybody like, this is what happened. Like I have this baby. It's amazing. And then I crashed really hard and everything kind of set in and it was, you know, really hard. Is it because you suddenly realized like, oh, I have this baby and like, this is my new life and I have to take care of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think just the sleep deprivation caught up to me and the, you know, my body was really aching and hurting from the trauma of birth that I experienced the first time. And yeah, the reality of just like that fear surrounding, like, you know, people were dropping meals off, but they had the mask on and it made me sad because I couldn't really like connect with them in a time where I feel like connection is so important. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you, you're naturally an extrovert, I'm assuming, based on the fact that you host small group and you have yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, I'm these. super, yeah, I'm super friendly, but I definitely, I feel like I'm actually more of an introvert in terms of like where I get my, I need time alone to be in my own head, yeah, to be replenished, but I get excited when I have the energy to be with people, yeah. Did you feel that, you know, it was hard for you to like recharge as an introvert because you had this baby with you now in a way (laughs) definitely yeah Yeah. and yeah I mean the whole like schedule that you're on when you first have the baby and then the breastfeeding of like you know you're supposed to feed them every like two to three hours or something and so yeah it's like I would feed him for like 45 minutes to an hour which was really painful for me like breastfeeding was we were figuring it out and he had reflux so like that made it difficult too and then I eat something, then I go to the bathroom, which was a whole process in postpartum, and then like do it all over again. So yeah, for me, like as an introvert who wants time to myself, I was like, I don't have that anymore. 
And that's really yeah. scary and hard. And I didn't know that there was like a light at the end of the tunnel. I like, mm-hmm. I was like, this is my whole life now. This is what I signed up for. Yeah. In terms of that two hour window, I don't think people yeah. understand. Cause I didn't understand either when I signed up to breastfeed that to your point, it's like, I fed you for 45 to an hour. Like you're literally on my on my boob and now it hurts and then I have like an hour to myself in a way and then I have to start feeding you again because the clock starts when they start feeding not when they finish feeding so then you might end up being like you only get an hour break from like your your nipples like chafing essentially yeah 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 it's it's tough like I yeah and and that's actually the first thing I tell people if they say they want to breastfeed I'm like it will suck a lot for yeah the first two or three months until you get into a groove, until your body adjusts, until the baby gets stronger. Right. It just feels like that's all you can do. Yeah. So I, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, absolutely. So was your husband home at the time? Like he had time off or was he still? Yeah, thankfully he was home probably for like home and totally available for, I think like two weeks. So that was really super helpful. So when I, you know, was done feeding Judah, I would like pass him to Cameron and he would burp him or change his diaper or whatever. But yeah, so thankfully he was there with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. I feel like that makes a big difference, at least in in some ways. So when did you start to get concerned that you might have some type of postpartum depression that's a little more than normal, normal, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. So I, I remember like just, it was like, I think it was in the middle of the night breastfeeding session. It was, it was just my, my neck was hurting from looking down and trying to get the latch right. And my back and my body was still aching and hurting from, from labor. I just completely broke down and just like, I feel like I came to the end of myself to a point where I was like, oh my gosh, I never knew I could like just lose it like that, you know? And uh, I think the next day, like I was like, I just got to get out of the house. I think this was at like maybe like two weeks postpartum, maybe even less than that. And I said, I'm going to go visit my dog and do something normal to kind of counteract that feeling of like, this is my whole, this little bubble of feeding and recovering is my whole world. And I just got to get out. And so I went to visit my dog who was staying with my brother-in-law and I, I just like sat there and played with her and cried to my brother-in-law cause he's so sweet and he was asking questions and I kind of spilled everything out to him. And then I got in the car to drive back home and I realized, oh my gosh, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home to my brand new baby and my husband who I love, but I just don't want to go home. And then I asked myself like, well, where do you want to go? And it, yeah. I just said like, I just don't want to exist. Like I want to float away into oblivion and be done. And that was like, whoa, because I've never had that deep of a like depressive thought. And so it was really alarming to me. And I went home and I told my husband like, this is just, I'm not okay. Like I just, I I have this pressing desire that like, I don't want to exist. And so at that time I was already on medication and I called the doctor and I, I upped the dosage. And, uh, thankfully I think that really helped. But like I said, I, when I called the doctor, it was actually not very helpful at all. And so I think 
you know, to moms out there, I would, who may think that they're struggling with something like this, I would definitely say like, you have to be your own advocate sometimes and trust yourself, trust the voices closest to you. Because that phone call with the doctor is honestly so discouraging to think about because at the end of everything I said, which was similar to what I just said to you, she's like, okay, so you're not feeling better, but you're not feeling worse. And I was like, what? I just said I want to like not exist. Like something's off. This is not normal. And so, yeah, thankfully the medication upping it really helped. And I think I came out of that within like two weeks, but it was really scary. So you were on the medication prior to the birth as well. You took it during your pregnancy. Yeah, I I yeah. didn't really want to, especially like this is my first pregnancy. Like, you know, I didn't want to be on medication. But in March when COVID hit, I was just like laying on the couch, like not able to do anything. And I was really anxious and depressed. And I went on, I think it was like 25 milligrams of Zoloft and that helped. But then I think when this whole thing happened, I went up to 50 and then I reassessed and I even went up to 100 and that's what worked for me. So yeah, I was on the medication already after, um, you know, when I was pregnant, like, yeah. I mean, when we think about COVID in general, even if you weren't pregnant, even just the general population, I feel like yeah, so many people struggled right. with mental health at that time. Yes, like yeah. the, the lack, the social distancing turning into like social isolation, right? And like the doom scrolling of like what's going to happen to the world at this point. And I, I think even if you didn't have the influx of hormones and the influx of like, I'm bringing a whole new life into this world, like mental health was a real was a real focal point for just general population yeah, right definitely I think that's a really tough decision to make for expecting moms because I know that there's a stigma behind it but what's interesting is that you mentioned a little bit of the anxiety in your pregnancy I think having a little bit of that anxiety and depression while pregnant preludes you to have a higher chance of having PPD so it's right. like they almost should have like flagged you mm-hmm. as a case like a potential mm-hmm. case yeah. Knowing that you had like a pre-existing. Yeah. And I don't remember much conversation around that of like talking to me and saying like, oh, you're on this medication and you know, how are you doing? And like at the six week appointment postpartum, like they have you fill out like a paper or whatever. Yeah. yeah. A screening paper. And then they never look at it. They never really talk to you about it. And I mean, that was my experience with that provider. So um, I also feel yeah. like, do you think that mothers would feel like they could be honest in that paper? Right. That's what I was thinking too. It would be so easy to Am just... I self-diagnosing? Yeah. 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 It would be so easy to either not be self-aware or like not want to share that information because I mean it's weird, but there's this fear in the back of your mind of like, they're not going to trust me with my baby then. Or, you know, just like, yeah. So, And also I think as women, we tend to shoulder the burden or shoulder like the, the issue and be like, oh, it's probably not a big thing because people are so like dismissive about our concerns generally yeah, right so like true. you kind of grow up yeah. with this like yeah you kind of grow up with this grooming that like oh it's something you can suck up it's not gonna be a big deal so then when you're filling this out you're like 
do I have it actually an issue or is it not? Is it just me like having a bad day? So then (laughs) I don't know the fact that it was a sheet of paper and it was like eight or 10 questions. I was like, this can't be the only thing I, I do as a screening. Right. And, and the thing is it could show up at any point in the first year. Does anyone ask me later? No. (laughs) That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So I really feel for like any moms who don't have a partner who can, kind of notice it for them if they don't notice it themselves or if they're even playing it down on their own right like in some cases the partner needs to kind of be like hey I noticed you know you feel a little more pressure than than you should in this situation right and like maybe you need to like get checked out a little bit more than beyond this existing care provider I don't know like I there are some instances and I also have some friends who you know I I kind of felt that way about how they were feeling in their newborn phases. And I was like, Hey, like, I feel like there's something there, but only because I felt like I was close enough with that person to say that, you know, like, obviously I'm not going to go to someone I'm not an acquaintance with and and say that, but it was only with like close friends that I'm like, Hey, I think, you know, something might be a little heavy there that doesn't need to be there, Mm. you know? So yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's tough. I don't know what the solution is. You know, I don't, I don't know. It, it seems tough. And I know that postpartum is even more prevalent in women who don't have the support system, right? Like, cause then they're really just like, uh, you know, you took a drive to go see your dog. Like some people don't have that. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty tough for them, you know? So you said the turning point of relief was after being two weeks on this medication. Like, how did you, how did you notice that relief immediately? Like, how did you realize like, Hey, I think I'm out of it. And I think this is it. I'm in a good place now. Yeah. That's a good question because there was definitely relief. Like there just wasn't that looming hopelessness of like the only way forward is to not be here that disappeared, but there was still a fear of like, well, what if I get back to that place? What if I experience that hopelessness again? Like, and so, I mean, like the relief just was kind of like, I don't, I don't even know if I could fully describe it because it was almost like something was there and then something was gone. That's just how it was for me. But then the fear of it coming back again. And I also realized, I remember now every day around, like there was a certain time of day that I was like, Hey, I asked my husband, like, can we go on a walk every, every day at this time? Because I'm noticing like it was, I can't, I think it was like before dinner and then into the evening is when I would experience that sadness and that mm. hopelessness coming up. So yeah. I also like, you know, aside from the medication started to try to think of other things that could help me. So I'd either like call a friend during that time of day, or we would go on a walk, just trying to build in like moments of joy where it spoke to me like, see life is still continuing and life is still good. Like even in this transition, that's really hard, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I feel in a weird way. I had the similar thing where when the sun would go down, I would get like a little anxious because my son was not a good sleeper. So like bedtime was always like a thing that I knew I'd have to like walk around the house like 40 times to get him to fall asleep. And this was before like sleep training, blah, blah, blah. So I started to feel, I would also feel that hopelessness around that time. Like, Oh, it's coming. Like this part of the day is coming. So I think that's a great idea. I just, I didn't think of it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I didn't think yeah. of like walking around or like doing something, you know, that yeah. brings joy at that time versus like kind of just well, it's, wallowing. Yeah, it's hard. Time. Yeah. Because like you're just in it trying to move from moment to moment in those first, like in that first month or two, even three. Actually, I don't feel like I had a routine and a like life back, so to speak, until three months with my first baby because everything was so new. And yeah. Yeah. So with your second, do you find that, are you still taking the medication? Like as a, like something you've done throughout the pregnancy of the second one, like did you sunset the medication or, or lower the dose as you moved out of that first year with your first son? Yeah. So I did remain on the medication. Like I kind of just don't want to mess with anything, but I did lower the dosage as low as I can go when I got pregnant with my second and I stayed on that really low dosage. And I think I'm still on that low dosage. Yeah, I think just with my experience with the really low low that I had that first time around postpartum, I kind of just like, I think I might be like prone to this type of stuff. And I just, I would rather like be able to show up for my children and care for myself in this way. And thankfully, I've not had any, like there's been no side effects pointing to a decision like to get off of the medication. You know what I mean? There's okay. nothing that's like okay. been like, Oh, you should get off because this is how it affected your baby or whatever, you know? Yeah. Okay. That's great. And you mentioned with your first, there was maybe some birth trauma and that may have impacted your postpartum recovery and thus leading to a little bit of this. Do you want to go into what the situation was? Yeah. So for sure. Yeah. So like, I guess the setup is like we talked about, I was already not in a place of strength emotionally, mentally going into it and even leading right up to the birth, because like we talked about, it was like, is Cameron going to be able to be with me? Am I going to have to wear a mask the whole time? Like, I feel like a medical setting is the last place you would want to be during COVID in that first, like, because it is just like, a place of fear and unknown and um, just a lot of like precautions. And so I think that really set up the way I went into the birth was there was like a lot of uncertainty and fear, but basically I wanted a natural labor. I didn't prepare enough for that and ended up getting an epidural. And then I wasn't able to move. I had to be in the bed and I, I, I think I, yeah, I, I can't remember like how many hours, but I know, I think the most traumatic part was when they told me it was finally time to push, I had to push for four hours and they kept telling me like, oh, we can see him. We could see his head like, yep, almost there. And I just remember looking at the nurses and the doctor and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like, what are we supposed to do? Can you, and I started asking for things that I wasn't even educated on, but hey, can you use the sucky thing? Vacuum. Where like, yeah. yeah, the vacuum. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so they did that three times and, or maybe twice. And then they were like, okay, we can't use that anymore. Like that's hospital policy. Like if it doesn't work, we can't keep doing that. And I was like, okay, well, do you have forceps? And they were like, we don't use those here. And I'm so thankful like that they, they didn't. I wouldn't have really wanted that, but I just was like, I've been pushing for four hours. And they were like, well, we can do a C-section. And I was like, is that necessary? And they said, not really. And I was like, okay, like I guess we're just here. And then they finally figured out that he had shoulder dystocia, which is like where he's stuck. 
his shoulder is stuck. So she very quickly was like, okay, we have to do a episiotomy. And I was like, okay, yes, like anything to get him out. Yeah. So they, they cut and they were also like, she was really trying to make room down there. Yeah. Like she was like, her hands were in there and she reached up and grabbed his hand and was able to get his shoulder out of it being stuck. Yeah. And then they finally pulled him out, but that was really, really traumatic. The four hours of pushing on top of the, um, the episiotomy, which is, you know, just the cutting. And so my body was really fast when she did it. Was she just like, yeah, yeah. She was, she looked at me to get like the consent. Yeah, it was, it was very fast. And I think they were also getting ready to do a movement where they, yeah, another nurse comes in and pushes on your hip or whatever to dislodge the baby. But they thankfully didn't have to do that because I've heard stories of women where they're like, suddenly they were on top of me and they were shoving down on my hips and I had no idea what was going on. Thankfully they talked to me and we made a plan of like, let's do the episiotomy. So yeah, um, that was just really traumatic to recover from, but I didn't know any different because it was my first birth. Yeah. And so now that I have a second birth to compare it to, I really realize how traumatic that was to recover from. And I just remember laying in bed and feeling it like sounds a crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yes. It sounds like you were just kind of like taken for a ride and like, I don't, I don't know. It just, it sounds like it, it started off slow paced and controlled and then all of a sudden it just went like this whole other direction so I totally hear you on why that would be traumatic (laughs) yeah it was and then they took him away for like a whole hour and I so literally I think they put him on my chest for like maybe two minutes and then because he was he was stuck they wanted to check on him and everything and because babies can be like quite damaged from that and So uh, they took him away for like an hour. So after all that work of like four hours of pushing and then the trauma of all that happening, I'm just laying in the room eventually like by myself once they got me stitched up. It was just me by myself because Cameron went to be with Judah and he was gone. And I was just like, I didn't have my phone. I was just like, I'm just here. Laying there. So that was kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so sad. And for those of you who are listening, I'm like, so uncomfortable hearing this story like cringing like thinking about the whole situation I mean it's not no one could have helped whatever the situation was I mean it is what it is right it's not like yeah yeah there was anything the doctors did wrong it's just this is this is sometimes what happens so for your second birth did you do anything different in terms of preparation did you go in thinking like this could happen. Let me not like set my expectations that, you know, this wouldn't happen. Um, yeah. So, I mean the, so this time around and I'm in New Jersey now at this point, I used a midwife practice and I also did an online course called pain-free birth. You can find them on Instagram. And I mean, my birth was by no means pain-free, but she just really helps you set up your mental, um, the way that you frame the pain, which like the pain and the contractions are purposeful. And so I actually went in like really excited about labor this time. And I just felt like I had 
you know, midwives who had seen a lot of natural births and knew who, how to, knew how to support that. Yeah. But I, I really did so much like mental prep and work and like, just like praying and asking God for yeah. redemption. So I really actually claimed this one verse that says, for with the Lord, there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. And so I, I asked God for that plentiful redemption in my birth with Elisha mm-hmm. and I I had an amazing experience with him where like I I now like love labor I love birth I like so excited if I ever get to do it again like I love to hear yeah it. so totally different than the first oh my gosh I love that I love that I love that for you you know like that second experience that's so beautiful and yes. not that your first was not also beautiful but like I feel like you know the second one was really like what it could be for everyone and yeah um, you don't hear that all the time so it's nice to to hear it from you and I also agree I'm with the the mental mindset like that was probably the biggest shift because I think society we're told that birth is painful and birth is hard and and setting yourself up to think that way doesn't really help the situation but setting yourself up to think like contractions are purposeful and like this is a natural thing that can really set you up for success yeah totally and it makes so much sense too because like um the course that I took talked a lot about this but how like in fear we tense up and our bodies like Mm -hmm. brace for impact kind of or whatever and that's just not what you need when your body's trying to like move out a baby (laughs) and so I was so relaxed like the whole time and during labor I mean intense pain but I just surrendered to it you know yeah yeah I yeah similar experience and so funny because when I went in I, when I went in, I went to, I went to a regular hospital and it's a very good hospital, but I think no one really knew if I was going to be able to do it or not. It was my birth plan. And, you know, I walk in and they don't know me, obviously. I don't know them. And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to do a natural birth. And they probably hear that a lot. And then, you know, it doesn't end up being the same way. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it. And then we did a, we did preparation for it. So I don't think they realized that I don't, I don't think they were sure I would do it either. They were like, we'll see, like, we can always like play by play. And I'm like, yeah. Um, but then when I did it, they were like, <laughs> my husband was telling me they were like little nurses station. Yeah. They were like uh-huh. cheering us on because <laughs> they were like in the, oh, like they can, they can see everyone's yeah. chart from like every screen. Right. So, yeah. So I think that there's like, I guess more often people come in with a birth plan and then they, they, something ends up going awry or like in some scenarios it it works out and they just didn't like know what to expect when I walked in. So it's interesting that you went to a midwife center and they kind of were like, yeah, we see this all the time. Whereas like the one I went to, they're like, yeah, this almost never happens. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's so Um, cool. So yeah, it was awesome. And I, I agree. I, I liked birth. I didn't hate it. I didn't like recovery, but I didn't hate the actual, birthing process so that's why I'm on this podcast that's why I created it so we can talk at length about those experiences and and what it how it could differ for everyone yeah and so the second one like nothing so far he's a year he's a year out already like yeah months at this point I guess so yeah no I mean the second one the whole experience was totally different from everything I just described to you 
with the first. So, <laughs> I mean, I call like Elisha, like my angel baby, like he was mm-hmm. such a good sleeper and he was just so content and the birth and everything was just totally different. And so I think I'm just in a, a much better place altogether anyway. So I think that could definitely play into it. There's less stressor, like influx. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Do you have any last words or advice for any expecting or new moms? Oh my gosh, there's so much. But in line with that, I think this is kind of totally different, but there's so much information out there. And I think everybody, once you're pregnant, wants to give you what worked for them. And I would just say like, oh, be okay with setting boundaries of like, like even my story, like that's one thing with pregnancy, especially my second pregnancy. I said to myself, Judah's story and his birth story is his story. This is Elisha's story. I'm not going to take on anything that I don't need to and apply it to how this birth or this pregnancy is going to go. So I would say like to moms who are pregnant or, you know, about to give birth or whatever, like just be where you are, take it day by day. And, you know, I believe that God is good and he's with you. And yeah, I just, I think it's hard sometimes to like not take on other people's stories or other people's advice, but if it doesn't sit well with you, then like, just let it float on by, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I just think in an age where there's so much information easily accessible to us right now, just be careful with what you take on and be okay to sometimes just let that person's comment or that Instagram story, whatever, not be a part of where you are today, if that makes sense. So, No, it makes total sense. Thank you. And even this podcast, right? So feel free to dismiss this podcast yeah. if it makes no sense for your journey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate our podcast and share with your community. For more information on Ama and Co, follow us on Instagram or visit our website, amaandco.com. See you next time.